This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Skolarsep. It is Wednesday night. You're definitely most likely listening to this on Thursday morning. And it's going to be a long Thursday while we wait for the U.S. Men's National Team to kick off their CONCACAF Gold Cup match against Martinique. It's a night game, late game. We're talking 9.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff, so get your coffee ready. It's going to be a long one. So I'm dropping this late, late Wednesday, unfortunately. New intro beat. I hope you like it. I found it and I was like, this is it. This is the one. I'm about to drop some bars on this. I'll wait. I'll wait. I don't want to. I don't want to show it off. I don't want to show off the skills, but I got some skills. I got some 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 rap skills, but I'll save it for another day. We got plenty to talk about today. U.S. Men's National Team taking on Martinique Thursday, Children's Mercy Park in Kansas City, Kansas, and it's an interesting match because obviously the U.S. should beat Martinique, right? I mean, that's that's not even a question. The question is, what lineup will Greg Berhalter go with? Will he put out a lineup that's experimental, a formation that's experimental, or will we see a lot of, you know, veterans, a lot of familiar faces? My money's on a pretty experimental lineup and more than likely the 5-3-2 formation we saw late against Haiti in the 1-0 win on Sunday. And I think, honestly, the sense I get is a lot of U.S. fans want to see that system, not least of which because it means Gianluca Busio is probably in the starting lineup. Now, I don't know anything. I haven't been told anything, but I got to believe. We're going to see Busio again and in a starting role, his first, what would be his first start. And if you're Greg Berhalter and you're, to, and you're looking for a perfect time to give Busio a start, it's this match, this Martinique match, because Martinique, look, weakest team in the group. I know you don't want to take your, anyone for granted, but this is a perfect opportunity to give Busio the showcase. And we talked about it last episode. This is the perfect time for a lot of these players that, that were on the bench for the first game. Eric Williamson, James Sands. All three made their debuts against Haiti, and now all three should be in the starting lineup. And we'll see what what Berhalter does. Now, I projected a lineup on Monday. No, wait, was it? No, Tuesday. I projected a lineup 5-3-2. And I actually had had, uh, Berhalter sitting at least one of his starting center backs. And, you know, between Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman, I projected him, uh, Berhalter, to start a three-center back setup of... Miles Robinson on the right, James Sands in the middle, and Donovan Pines on the left, the DC United center back. And obviously, that's a you know it's a bit of an experimental one. Donovan Pines ha- is, hasn't made his he hasn't made his national team debut yet. He is obviously a raw defender, a little bit of a risky move there. But then on Wednesday, Berhalter uh, has his press conference, and who does he bring up? What player joins him? Walker Zimmerman. So it looks like Walker Zimmerman is going to start, right? That's as I've said before, it's not an automatic. That you're a starter if you're in the day before press conference, but it's the percentage is pretty high. I want to put it at 90%, maybe 90, 90 to 95% success rate. If you're in the press conference match day minus one, you're in the starting lineup. And sometimes you're even a captain. So let's say Walker Zimmerman is your starter. Who's your, who are your three center backs? Is he just going to go right, right off the bat with Zimmerman, Robinson, and Sands? Because I think Sands has to start, especially if you play with three center backs. I don't think you're going to play, you're going to play, I don't see you playing Pines, Zimmerman, and Robinson. I don't. Sands has played centrally in the three center back setup. He's very, very good on the ball. He provides a very good outlet for his for his teammates. And he is the perfect player for that role. So I think he's in there. So maybe we will see the Zimmerman, Sands, Robinson, 
trio. And I know some people have already asked like, oh, you know, is this, is Burles going to switch to that formation? Is this going to be it for the tournament? Now that obviously Paul Ariola is injured and Paul Ariola and Reggie Cannon are both out for the Martinique match. So right off the bat, you don't have those two guys. And that obviously changes things because as it stands, you only had two natural wingers on your roster. One of them gets hurt and the other look the other look terrible, Jonathan Lewis. So all of a sudden, in theory, theoretically, you have no natural wingers available. I mean, Lewis is available, but you're not you don't want to put him in. You don't want to start him again. He's he's just he's not a starter and you're not going to start him again. I don't I, I just don't see it. So you almost kind of have to go five, three, two, at least for this game and 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 see how it goes. Right. I still am of the belief that once you get to Sunday and you play Canada, you're going to go four three three. Even if it means Jossie Zardis on left wing, Nicholas Giacchini on right wing, Daryl DK up top. Play your three strikers up top. Let let Zardis and Giacchini, you know, go at people and see how that works. And you know, I I was I was debating with someone on Twitter actually. I'm not debating, but they were kind of saying that yeah, you know, like the way things are, you should go with three three center backs. And I mean, it's just tough. It's just tough. Just not just not enough games. Not enough games leading into Canada. And Canada is a tough opponent. I just think the team is more familiar in a four three three. And I don't think you should necessarily be adjusting your formation for Canada. And no offense to Canada. Canada, good team. I've I've sang Canada's praises repeatedly now. I'm a big fan of Canada and what they have, what they're doing, the direction they're heading. But if you're the United States, you play your system, your preferred system, and let Canada deal with you. Not the other way around. You don't you don't adapt. You don't adjust your system to deal with Canada. If you're the United States, I don't care if it's your A team, B B team, C team, you don't do it. Maybe you adapt during the game. Maybe if obviously if if you're having trouble and the four three three is uh, you need to make a tweak and adjustment. Potentially you could see that. But in terms of starting out in a five three two against Canada, I, personally I don't see it now. If the U.S. goes out against Martinique and looks amazing in a 5-3-2, I'm sure Greg Berhalter is going to think more about it. But again, in my opinion, I don't think you're going to see a first choice 11 against Martinique. I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of players who didn't start in the first game. And, uh, you know, one player I think we're going to see is Eric Williamson, who obviously everyone's talking about Busio and how good Gianluca Busio looked. And he did look really good. He deserves the praise that he's getting. But I feel like Eric Williamson also deserves praise because I thought he looked very good. And uh, if you listen to Greg Berhalter on Wednesday, he agreed and he he definitely lavished plenty of praise on the Portland Timbers midfielder. You know, Eric was actually in the Gold Cup pre-camp in 2019 and we were able to work with him. Um, so, you know, we, we, we've seen that a, a couple years ago already. Um, you know, it was unfortunate at the end of last year, he got picked up a little injury and I don't think was able to show his best in, in last January camp. So, but now he's, he's back to fitness and, um, you know, Eric's a really interesting player. Um, you know, we've enjoyed working with him, uh, very technical player. He, I think he has, he sees things sometimes that other people don't see on the field, the final pass, the combination, you know, that, that's been really um, nice to see in, in training. And now it's about getting an opportunity at the next level and, and proving it in a game at the next level. And that's what it always is. That That's the, you know, the, the, the measuring stick for these guys is can they do it in a competitive fixture? And, um, you know, hopefully we'll get to see them in this tournament and do that. And, and I think I mentioned last episode, uh, maybe I didn't, maybe we'll have to just do it now. The lineup that I think we'll see, and I'll run it down real quickly. Up top, Daryl DK starts, and I think you start him with Hop, Matthew Hoppy, and you play two strikers. You play your five three two. 
Those are your two strikers. Jesse Zardis, you you gave him a rest. He obviously played a, a bunch against Haiti. You want to you want Zardis against Canada? As much as I know, some U.S. fans will disagree and say, "No, we want Daryl DK against Canada." But for me, Zardis is playing against Canada. He's starting against Canada. I just don't see how he does it. Giacchini, uh, Greg Baralter said himself that Giacchini, in terms of match fitness, isn't where he you know he's in preseason uh, in term, uh, form in terms of match fitness. So starting him again would be a little risky. He just ended up playing a, a bunch of minutes coming on for an injured Paul Ariel in, in the Haiti game. And I think you do see him start against Canada. So I don't, you're not going to see Gigi. I don't think start midfield. I think your midfield, and I, this, I said last episode, Christian Roldan, Eric Williamson in your Cascadia tandem. And then Gianluca Busio behind them. Now, obviously Eric Williamson can, can alternate. He can drop deeper. He can play both. He can play either role that you need him to play. And I know, you know, you can argue, oh, well, you know, are you going to play them as two sixes? Are you going to give Busio the chance to play as a six by himself and let your, and let Williamson push up the field with Roldan? And I think that's what you do because look, you're playing Martinique. Why do you need two sixes against Martinique? Why do you need two defensive midfielders against Martinique? You don't. You leave Busio back there to orchestrate, to deal with what, what everything that comes his way. It's a perfect test perfect opportunity for him to show that he can handle it and obviously if things get you know if things get te- uh, tricky if things get challenging and he looks like he needs a little help what happens eric williamson drops right back and provides that balance that you need so from that standpoint i think i think that's what you're going to see and who's your back five your back five i think you go george bello on the left wing left wing back Shaq moore at right wing back and then your three center backs i mean i think now now that we had uh Walker Zimmerman speak to the media on Wednesday. I think you'll see Walker Zimmerman, James Sands, and Miles Robinson. And right off the bat, anyone look, listening to that lineup will say, wait a minute, where's uh, Kellen Acosta? He looked great against Haiti. Where is he? He's resting. You're resting Kellen Acosta for the Canada match. And you are absolutely going to need Kellen Acosta against Canada. My opinion, he's going to be your starting defensive midfielder in a 4-3-3. Not Jackson Ewell, Kellen Acosta. And I think it's going to really come down to, in, ter- in terms of the three in the middle against Canada, I think it'll be Sebastian Leggett. Again, another player, where's where's Leggett? Why isn't he in the lineup? You're resting Leggett. Against Canada, you go Leggett, you go Acosta in, as the six. And then the question is, who do you partner with Leggett? Do you partner Roldan or do you partner Williams? And I think you're going to partner, I think you'll partner Roldan, but it'll probably come down to how they look against Martinique and which of the two and I think Roldan, I think Roldan is the is the pick unless Williamson just looks amazing or and or Roldan struggles that's the midfield you're going to see against Canada and I, you know not to get too far ahead but I'm trying to provide the context for why the line the lineup we're seeing against Martinique is what it is it should be because it's a, with an eye towards Canada and that Canada game is going to mean everything really because I don't see Haiti beating Canada and if Canada beats Haiti as they should, and if the U.S. beats Martinique as they should, you're looking at Canada versus the U.S. on Sunday. Winner wins the group. Loser faces a tougher road to the final, playing Mexico sooner. And Mexico got off the board. Uh, they, they they put, I believe, four. I don't have the final score in front of me, but they they, they put a beating on Guatemala. And it was a, it was a little, actually, final score 3-0. And it was a, it was a bit of a slow start for, for uh, Mexico. Rogelio Funes Mori. Scored two goals, and he scored uh, 29th minute. So it took 119 minutes for Mexico to score their first goal. And it took 169 minutes for a Mexican-born player to score a goal for, for Mexico. Orbelin Pineda scored in the 79th minute. And I know some people are going to say, wait a minute. 
food is money is eligible to play for Mexico. Let's not play that game. And I know my boy Hercules Gomez is, is all over the xenophobic Mexico fans who don't like the idea of an Argentinian-born striker in their lineup. And I'm not knocking that. Full credit to Rogelio Funes Mori. If he can play for Mexico, play for Mexico. But for as much trash trash as Mexican fans talk about Mexico and, 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 and all the pride and all this and that, you're playing an Argentinian striker. So, I mean, you know. We don't want to hear anything else about dual nationals, you know, about Serginho Dest or any Yunus Musa or any of, of these European developed players that might play for the U.S. You have an Argentinian striker. You can't talk ever again. So a little interesting, a uh, little side note. I've gone on a tangent a little bit here, but we did talk the lineup. And uh, obviously goalkeeper, I think Matt Turner gets to start again. Could you see Sean Johnson? Potentially. But I want to see I want to see Matt Turner get it every game of this tournament. And as good as he is, and I'm a big Matt Turner fan, but he he had a couple of nervy moments with the ball against Haiti. And it just kind of shows he needs he needs the reps, right? He needs to, to he just needs more games in this system. Because in New England he is not called upon to deal to, to handle the ball as much. He's just not he you know, he's not dribbling out, you know, he's not building from the back as often with New England as he's expected to do with the United States. So from that standpoint, that's why you kinda want him to get as many games as you can get him. And obviously, yes, you can get Sean Johnson a game, and that's entirely possible. I'm not saying it's impossible, but for me, I want to give Matt Turner as many games as possible just to sharpen him up get hit get any get get any mistakes out of his system in terms of with the ball and there were a couple of moments there against Haiti where he was kind of like oh wait oh what, what's going on but he you know he, he he got himself out of trouble and and he did and he was fine but for me get, just give him every game just that's it he's playing every game and and just go from there so I think that's what what you will see now how realistic a chance does Martinique have against the United States look could they cause some problems? Look, they scored the first goal against Canada, right? So they they got the first punch in, and then Canada said, well, hold on a second. And then they tore them apart, right? They scored four goals. And, and it should be noted, look, Canada has obviously been together for a while now. They played qualifiers in June. They beat Haiti in qualifying in June. They've got, they've got that recent time together as a group. And I think that gives them a bit of an advantage in terms of a first game. When you're talking about the United States working out the kinks. But for this second game, there's no excuses, even though there's going to be a lot of, in my opinion, there's going to be a lot of lineup changes. I still think if you have Daryl DK and Matthew Hoppy up top, Christian Roldan and uh, Eric Williamson playmaking behind them, I think you there's no excuses for not to get a few goals, at least two goals, at least minimum. Anything less than 2-0. If it's 1-0 or 0-0 or 1-1 or 2-2 for that matter, if it's anything less than a two-goal victory, 2-0, there's going to be questions to be asked because this this Martinique team is not even as good as the past Martinique teams that the U.S. has faced. Let's just be real here. Not to say that the U.S. should win 7-0 or 5-0, but listen, minimum 2-0, at least. 4-0, you'll take that. But especially with goal difference being a factor now, let's not, let's not forget, Canada beat Martinique by three goals. 4-1. Now they're going to go play Haiti and we you know who knows how many they're going to put on Haiti. So if you're in the United States and you don't want to go into that last game against Canada with the pressure to have to win, you better put some goals on Martinique. So the US men's national team will face Martinique Thursday night 9:30 p.m. going to end around 11:30 p.m. We're going to get Greg Berhalter's press conference probably around midnight. So uh the plan for me is to do another episode of the SBI show and let me know if 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 this is too much. If I'm if 3 a week is ambitious, I'll rein it in. I'll rein it in. But again, as I said recently, the, these will be shorter and hopefully more digestible. We're talking 30 to 40 minutes as opposed to an hour, hour and 15. And and hopefully we can get a nice little rhythm going with that. And um, 
especially now with these games and, and there's plenty to talk about. There's so much going on that I think we can do three shows a week. We'll see how long that goes, because, again, it, it's, you know, it's it's uh, it's not easy cranking these out in terms of, you know, all the editing because I do everything myself. I do my I do the editing. I clean it up. I try to, you know, make it sound presentable and hopefully you guys enjoy it. And we'll see. We'll see what happens with the U.S. I think I'm predicting out. Here you go. Predict four zero DK two goals. Roll down a goal. And why don't we give uh, why don't we give Shaq more a goal? There you go. Four zero. See if they could do it. See if the U.S. can post another shutout. Uh, in other news, uh, another topic that's that's been bubbling up uh, in the past couple of days actually is is the topic of dual nationals. And this is never a, this is a topic that's always lurking. It's always an issue. It's always a question. And what's interesting is on Sunday against Haiti, you actually had a handful of players who were technically captied by their performances, by their appearances against Haiti in the Gold Cup. The Gold Cup appearance cap ties you. And uh, Gianluca Buzio, cap tied. Daryl DK, cap tied. Shaq Moore, whose parents, I believe, are from Trinidad, cap tied. Matt Turner, who I believe could technically play for, I want to say Ireland. Don't quote me on that, but I think he can play for somebody. Cap tied. Uh, but no one was really talking about those cap ties. Uh, I think the, the big topic of conversation this week was about players who have not been kept or who have not been kept to United to the United States. And obviously Efrain Alvarez has now been kept to Mexico. He appeared in the gold cup. It's he's gone. He's, he's, he's no longer, we don't have to even entertain it anymore. We don't have to talk about it. The possibilities he has closed the door. He is now a Mexican national team player and he is on that side for good. But now the question is who is going to join him? And there are several, American players, there are several U.S. men's national team eligible players who ha- who have that option also to play for Mexico still, even though they might have appeared for the U.S. in youth national team uh, tournaments, you know, U-20 World Cups, what have you, Olympic qualifying, doesn't matter. None of that captizes you. And I think that has some people nervous because of the number of Mexican-Americans who are kind of in this limbo now. And so the question then becomes, and, and now you're starting to get the, the whisper campaigns and the questions, is there a problem between U.S. soccer, U.S. men's national team, and the Mexican-American player contingent? Is is this, is, and this is obviously an old topic. Going back to the, you know, when you talk about the Jonathan Gonzalez situation, which we've, we've I feel like we've covered every which way possible, especially in recent episodes, trying to kind of explain that situation but as much as Jonathan Gonzalez is not tearing the world apart now, and he's pretty much trying to rebuild his career now, the whole incident of him choosing Mexico has left a scar in the psyche of a lot of U.S. fans who are nervous about losing more players. Are you going to lose David Ochoa? Are you going to lose Julian Araujo? Are you going to lose Jonathan Gomez now, 17-year-old? Are you going to lose Ricardo Pepe, another, another teenager? And, and that's, uh, that's kind of become the topic now. And, and you know, th- this kind of became a thing in recent days because now there's, 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 there's talk, there's rumor, there's innuendo, you know, you look at the David Ochoa situation. And as far as I can tell, as far as public statements and public proclamations, David Ochoa wanted to try it out. He wanted to get a taste of what it's like being in the Mexican national team setup. He is not committed to Mexico. He's not filed a one-time switch. As far as I can tell, he wanted to experience it. And that's his right. That's his prerogative. He can do that. He's eligible. So do that. I touched on this. I think it was two episodes ago. I laid it out. I said, listen, if that's if if you want to try it, do it. And and Greg Berhalter has gone on record saying in other situations that look, go, go, 
see, see how it is. See if the grass is greener. See if you feel better there. And if not, come back to us. And, and that's kind of become this tricky situation or testy subject because you obviously have some people who feel like, listen, you need to do everything you can, wine and dine these players, uh, kiss their butts, say whatever needs to be said, bring them into every camp, bring them into, you know, even if they're not necessarily the best options for what you want to do, doesn't matter. You bring them in. You bend over backwards. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, right? I mean, you, yes, you want to you want to show them that, that you want them, right? Fair, completely fair. But it's to a point. You're not going to go overboard. Like, you're not going to veer from what you're trying to do with your actual team to cater the, to these kind of fringe, right now, are fringe prospects. None of these players are ready to step into the starting lineup of the U.S. national team. David Cho is nowhere near ready to step in and start for the U.S. national team. So what do you? What would people have hit, uh, Greg Berhalter do with a David Cho? Make him a starter now just so he doesn't play for Mexico? That's ridiculous. Do, do you want to do that with Julian Araujo when you, know, you have a half dozen other quality right-back prospects? Now, none of that is to say you ignore these players. And I don't believe Burhalter has done that. I mean, he's brought in Araujo as part of Olympic qualifying. Araujo has been invited to multiple camps. I'm pretty sure Araujo could have been part of the Gold Cup team if he chose to be. But he wanted to maintain his flexibility. That was his decision. David Ochoa, Greg Burhalter brought him to Nations League. David Ochoa received a winner's medal after the U.S. defeated Mexico. I've seen the pictures of him celebrating and him posing with his medal and posing with the trophy. So like a month ago, he was on the U.S. side celebrating U.S. player. But something something made him decide, you know what? I still want to try this. I want to. And who knows? Maybe he's maybe he's ready. Maybe he's ready to make his decision with the U.S., but he needed to for closure and for peace of mind. He wants to try. He wants to try Mexico. And I get it. There's all this kind of, and, and I, people send me stuff and I, you know, I saw some of the stuff on Twitter and you have Mexican journalists alluding to things now about their, this uh, unhappiness, discontent among, among Latino, among Latino American players in the U.S. pool. And once you start getting that stuff, especially coming from journalists with ties to the Mexican national team, it kind of makes you wonder, okay, where, what is this? Where's it coming from? And not, and again, that's not to say there's no, there's nothing to this, but as of right now, I haven't heard David Ochoa say anything. I haven't heard Julian Araujo say anything. Ricardo Pepe is another player who he was in the mix for Olympic qualifying, didn't make it. My understanding was he was not happy at all with that situation. And the sense I get is that there was some discontent with the way the Olympic qualifying setup was handled. And players being told before their camp even began, look, you're not making the team, but you're still going to be part of this camp. And you ended up with a lot of unhappy players, a lot of disgruntled players that are kind of like, well, why am I here? Now, is that a mistreatment of specifically Mexican-American or Latino-American players? That's kind of what's being alluded to here. And I mean, I would love to have some of these players step forward and, and kind of provide some insight. And obviously, that's not an easy thing, right? Especially when you're still kind of trying to figure things out. If you're David Ochoa, you're not going to burn your bridges if you still haven't even made a decision yet, especially when you could still very well choose to play for the United States. And I said last episode, I sat down with David Ochoa. And I, uh, this was, I want to say, uh, more than a year ago, I sat down with him and asked him specifically about the U.S.-Mexico rivalry. And he had some great things to say, and I need to dig up the audio on that. I'm pretty sure I have video of it, actually. So if I find the video, I will put it up uh, on my new site, which will hopefully be launching this week. But I will definitely have the audio. I'll look to play it. I'm actually hoping to try to get 
David Ochoa on the show to talk because, you know, I think we need to hear from him directly about the situation and let him lay it out. You know, it's, uh, you know, kind of what, what the motivation is for him to, to go and train with Mexico. And I know some people are butthurt about it. Some people are angry. Some people are like, what is this? Like, oh, you're, you're disloyal. Like, you know what? I don't honestly, in my opinion, I don't think anyone ha- anyone shares that kind of opinion on that situation who's who's a dual national or who, who has multiple nationality. Because if you have multiple nationalities, you understand the concept of being proud of more than one nationality and being proud of your ties to more than one country. And some people don't get that because they're, they don't live that. They don't have that in their own lives. So it's incomprehensible to them how they could be loyal or how they could have any emotional attachment to any other country, but their one country. If you only have one country, it's great. You get to love your one country, but you can love more than one country, especially if you have those ties. Everybody knows my family, Peruvian. I have Peruvian ties. My whole family's Peruvian. And I I love Peru. I love the, I go there. I feel like I'm at home there. Peru plays. I root for Peru when, they, when Peru plays. Like, I have that attachment. Maybe it's someone who just is American, born and raised. They have no, you know, they're, they're like eighth generation American. They have no attachments to any other countries. Maybe they don't feel that. And that's fine. But the whole idea that how dare you train with Mexico, the enemy and all this and that. Listen, buddy, David Ochoa's family has these ties to Mexico. Like he doesn't look at the idea of Mexico and the country and the players as his mortal enemies. He'll play against them when he's with the U.S. and he has played against them multiple on multiple occasions. David Ochoa has played against Mexico and beaten Mexico and celebrated beating Mexico. So he's still a competitor. He'll still go and beat them when he plays them. But. He wanted to go try it out. More power to him. But I tell you what, if there is an issue and if and this is and if this is something going on with multiple players and there is a, a systemic problem, then yes, that's something that absolutely should be addressed if it's a systemic problem. If it's a case of, you know, certain players being disgruntled with their specific situations, that's a, that's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother ballgame. Individual situations or individual situations. Julian, Julian Araujo, if he's looking at the right back race in the right back depth chart for the United States and all the right backs that are in there, and he's looking at that and saying, hmm, uh, maybe, maybe my chances are better in Mexico. That's something else completely. Now, if Ricardo Pepe doesn't feel like he's getting enough love or he has doesn't feel like he has gotten enough love from U.S. soccer or from the U.S. soccer youth national team ranks, that's something else. But is it a systemic issue? And some people will definitely argue, yes, absolutely, it's a systemic issue. There's not enough Latino coaches, not enough Latino representation. So that could be why these players are considering jumping to Mexico. And I mean, that just that just honestly, that just feels like such a such such a simplistic and easy answer, because this isn't a new thing of players having this conflict. This that's not a new thing. And. It just feels like people want to blame U.S. soccer for players having attachments to, to, to Mexico. Like, it's not U.S. soccer's fault that these players are dual national. It's not U.S. soccer's fault that these players can be or can look at it and say, you know what, maybe I will play for Mexico or maybe I'll at least looking at look at it. But can can U.S. soccer do more? That's the real question. And that's something that as a group, players like Achoa, Araujo, Pepe, and even players that are in the current setup now that, I mean, it's something that, you, you know, I, I think needs to be discussed more. It's worth a discussion. But once you get into this whisper campaigns and, 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 and rumors about issues, that's where it's kind of like, where, so what, what's real? There's a difference between what's real and what people actually cop to and what 
anonymous people throw up on social media. And then it's kind of like, well, where's this coming from? Like, who, what's the motivations behind it? So we'll see what happens with that. I, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out with all these guys, because a lot of them are very, very talented. Jonathan Gomez, uh, we'll get into his situation a little later on the Americans Abroad section. And I'm already, we're already a half hour in. So apologies. I, this might not be as short an episode as I thought it would be. I'm going to try to wrap it up because I've gotten its whole dual nationals diatribe here. But, you know, Ricardo Pepe, super talented striker. You can understand why the Mexican national team and the Mexican Federation would be all over Ricardo Pepe. Julian Araujo, absolutely talented right back, bright future, super upside. You can understand why Mexico would be all over him. David Ochoa, very, very talented young goalkeeper. You absolutely understand why Mexico would, you know, would approach him and would want to bring him in and, and develop those those ties and those connections. Uh, so, yeah, you can understand why Mexico is doing this and why Mexico, as they should, these players are eligible for Mexico. So why should they not recruit them? Even though I can tell you there's a lot of Mexican fans that don't like this idea. Mex- there's a lot of Mexico fans that say, no, they're gringos they're americans like let them play for us like get, let's where are mexicans that are born and raised in mexico you're getting that there's definitely that that's happening so we'll see as a latino would i like to see more latino representation in the senior team of course i mean that's you, you want to you first of all the u.s men's national team is a very very diverse group and there you have obviously you have a, a lot of black players a lot of latin you have a good number of latino players in the first team mix Giorena is latino Sebastian Legette, Latino. Christian Roldan, Latino. So we will see how that plays out. But I am very interested to, to to hear from some of these players. And it's not just the ones that I mentioned. I mean, you have others who are who are still not technically captied, who in theory could still play for Mexico. Alex Mendez, Richie Ledesma, Ulysses Yanez. Now, all three of them have their own careers to kind of get back on track. So, like, honestly, realistically speaking, nas- the, like their national team careers should kind of be on the back burner right now as they focus on their club careers. Rich- Richie Ledesma, obviously, coming off of the injury, he's been out for, for a long time now. U- Ulianez, obviously, you know, now he's in Austria trying to kind of re- rekindle his career. And I just, I remember interviewing Ulianez, and he explained to me that his experience in the Mexican setup, he felt out of place there. So for me, if he now if again goes back into the Mexican setup, that's that's a bit of a head scratcher. Alex Mendez, super, super talented midfielder. He's off to Portugal. Hopefully he gets the first team matches and the first team minutes that he needs to get to show his skill. Now, if he tears it up and he lights it up, in theory, he could still play for Mexico. And here's a guy who scored two goals. I, I think it was two, if I remember correctly. He scored two goals to beat Mexico in the CONCACAF Under-20 Championship in 2018. And he ate it up. He loved beating Mexico. It meant the world to him to beat Mexico. Now, if he turns around and goes and plays for Mexico or turns around and even entertains it, yes, there, that you have to start asking questions about why. And is it about a system or is it just about players weighing all their options? And there's nothing you can do to stop that. You can, And it's easy to say, oh, if you wind them and dine them or if you, if you made them feel loved, maybe they wouldn't do that. That's not reality. Players are going to weigh their options regardless regardless of how much you wind them and dine them and regardless of what you do, they will look at their options. So we'll see. And, you know, hopefully some of these players will look at the Jonathan Gonzalez situation and, and see it for what it should be seen as, which is a cautionary tale because he got captured and where is he now? He's nowhere near the picture for the Mexican setup. And does that mean if he were, if he hadn't been captured to Mexico, would he be in the U S setup? Who knows? Right. Who knows how careers go? Who knows if maybe if he was with the U.S. that his, you know he would have left Monterey sooner? I remember there was talk about him going to Atlanta United. Now, if he's a U.S. men's national team player, maybe that deal gets done. And maybe he doesn't miss as much time sitting on the bench 
at Monterey. So we'll never know. Obviously, that's you're playing. You're playing. Uh, you know, predicting a, a past that didn't happen. So I'm not even going to go down that road. But it's just it's interesting. It's an interesting topic, and I'm hoping to bring in some of these players and have them on the show. I really hope I can get David, uh, David Ochoa on, and I would love to talk to Alex Mendez. It's been a minute since I talked to Mendez, and it's been a year since I talked to Ulianes. I hope I hope those guys really take advantage of the opportunities that they're going to have this year in Europe. And hopefully all these guys end up playing for the United States because they're talented, talented players and they're born and raised in the U.S. And ideally they should play for the United States. But again, it's their options. So we'll see. Now to the Americans abroad front and Josh Sargent has scored a hat trick. I know preseason against a weak opponent, but still. You like seeing that. You like seeing the U.S. national team striker, you know, warming up in preseason. We still don't know where he's going to play. Is he going to stay at Werder Bremen? For those who for those who have forgotten, remember now, Werder Bremen was relegated. They're going to play in the German second division next season. Josh Sargent's obviously someone that a lot of teams are interested in. A lot of teams are, are, are looking at him as someone that, that they could sign. So Sargent's future could absolutely be, he could stay in the Bundesliga. And my money is on him staying in the Bundesliga. A deal has not been done yet, but... You gotta love seeing him, you know, kind of just getting the preseason rolling, uh, scoring some goals, and hopefully he goes to a team that that can provide chances. Because look, it was a torture last season. Vertebrain was a bad team, and Sargent. For those who didn't wa- get to watch Sargent play, Sargent really, I felt he he improved in a lot of areas in his game in terms of the hold up play, in terms of the pressing. Obviously, you wanted to see him score more goals, but on that team, no one was gonna score. Bucket load of goals on that team with the lack of service that they generated. So, I thought he did well considering. The, the the limitations of that team. And I think a lot of teams saw that and a lot of teams appreciate that and understand, look, you put him on our team with better service and better players, he should, in theory, score more goals. So hopefully he gets that opportunity. Speaking of players who could be making moves or not, DeAndre Yedlin is once again, stop me if you've heard this, being linked to the Seattle Sounders and a return to the Seattle Sounders. And I spoke to his agent and his agent flat out said, no, it's not happening. He's focused on Galatasaray and staying there. Reports out of Turkey are that Galatasaray does not plan to have Yedlin be part of their plans. Like they they have other options. They're looking at other options right back. Yedlin is not part of their plans. So now if you're Galatasaray and you have DeAndre Yedlin, who you don't necessarily see being a starter for you, and you're paying him a boatload of money, I want to say two million, two and a half million a year, a season, you're going to start, you know, putting stuff out there that he's on the move or that he could be on the move. See if there's interest in him and... If you're Yellen, Yellen's got a contract and he's getting paid really well. He's been through this before. Pretty recently, actually, with Newcastle United, it was a similar situation. Uh, you know, they they initially didn't want to sell him. He was like the third choice uh, right back. And guess what? He ended up actually getting some games uh, due to some injuries and whatnot at Newcastle. And that helped pave the way for him to go to Galatasaray. It's unfortunate if he's going through that situation again. I thought he showed pretty well at Galatasaray in the games that he got last season. But obviously, when you're making that kind of money, it's easy for a team to just say, you know what, we can find a less expensive option. And just like that, at the snap of a finger, you're no longer kind of in the plans. But does that mean he'll come back to MLS? I don't see it. He's just on so much money right now. He's on, I mean, if he's really on, I mean, we won't, you know, according to reports, he's on two million to two and a half million a year. Seattle is not paying two million dollars a year for for a right back, even if it's DeAndre Edlin, even if it's their homegrown former all-star, you know, local product. That's too much money for them. And by the way, they have Alex Roldan, who's doing pretty damn well 
as a right wing back for them. So, you know, you get in a whole discussion about is Yedlin better than Rodan? But that, that's not the point. The point is you don't have a need right now. So if the position is in the need, are you going to break the bank for the position? No, you're not. So, you know, unless DeAndre Yellen is ready to take a huge pay cut, it's not going to happen. And I can tell you, folks, I don't see him taking a huge pay cut. I mean, as far as I know, he's actually about to be a dad. He's, a, you know, he's he's on the he's I don't know the timetable, but he is so, he will soon be a dad. And as a dad, I can tell you, listen, there's bills to pay. There's diapers to pay for. There's clothes to pay for. And down the road, there's college to pay for. You want to make all the money you can make and you're not going to give back two million to come home, at least not yet. He's, I believe, what is he, 28 now, 27, 28? He's got some years left in Europe to make some real money. And unless someone in MLS is really ready to offer him some millions, and last time I checked, MLS isn't paying fullbacks millions, plural, uh, I don't see it happening, at least not anytime soon. I, I got to say at least a year, probably two years away, I believe DeAndre Allen can find other opportunities in Europe where he can still make like much better money than he can make in MLS right now. So I don't see that happening. Uh, it's great every year. There's always these rumors. There's always DeAndre Yellen. And MLS teams have expressed interest. MLS has, MLS teams have put proposals together and have tried to, to make it work and have tried to, you know, get him to come back. The money hasn't been right. And I don't think it will be right for at least another year, if not two, at least. In other Americans abroad news, Ethan Horvath has signed with Nottingham Forest, former two-time European champions, Nottingham Forest, and current EFL championship team, Nottingham Forest. That's huge news. Obviously, Horvath, he should be able to compete for a starting job with Nottingham Forest, and that's really what matters at this point in his career. He needs to be starting. He needs to have a realistic chance. He needs to have a good chance to start. And obviously, at Club Bruges with Stefan Mignolet, he was just going to be, he was stuck being the backup. And hopefully now with Forest, he can have that opportunity to fight for a starting job. And it, and as we all saw in the Nations League, as all we as we were all reminded in the Nations League, he's a good goalkeeper. He's a good goalkeeper, and in theory, he should be re- he should be entering his prime right now. And actually, he's young. He's on the youngish side. What is he, 26, I want to say? I don't have it in front of me. He's around that age. I mean, that's a good age for him to be getting regular games and to be com- potentially competing with and pushing Zach Steffen for the starting job with the U.S. men's national team. So, you know, congrats to him, and hopefully that that move to Forrest can work out for, for Horvath. Uh, some, other, some other potential moves, reported moves that are in the works at uh, the Athletic is reporting that Sam Vines is closing in on a deal to Royal Antwerp, the Belgian side, uh, a reported two million dollar transfer. And obviously, Sam Vines, who just scored the winner against Haiti, didn't have the best of overall games against Haiti. But look, he's a good player. He's obviously a talented left back, and he's he, you know he's obviously shown well uh, throughout the past couple of years. So you know. There's another left back on the move in the U.S. player pool, and that's great to see. Uh, Jonathan Gomez, another fullback uh, who's at, who played for Louisville City, plays for Louisville City in the USL, and he's this highly uh, rated young prospect who Louisville City signed when John Hackworth was there there as head coach. And John, John Hackworth obviously has some really good ties in the American youth soccer setup. And Jonathan Gomez signed with, with Louisville because of Hackworth, right? So apparently, according to reports, Gomez's contract had a stipulation that if Hackworth were to leave or if Hackworth were to be fired, that Gomez could then leave on a free transfer. And this has kind of become this whole, it's become a bit, a, a bit of a joke or egg on the face of Louisville City because they've actually come out 
and admitted this is the case and admitted that yeah this is mm, our bad we we might have uh we might have you know put together a pretty bad contract for us uh, and now gomez is reportedly uh going to be signing with real sociedad in in la liga uh when he turns 18 and it sounds like louisville city will get reportedly a hundred thousand dollars which is not a lot of money when you're talking about a pretty highly rated prospect. And obviously, that's it's, e- it's easy to, to make the jokes about Louisville City and how they mishandled it. But you know what? Again, it comes down to would, they ha- would he have signed with them if there wasn't that contract stipulation? Would he have signed with them if not for John Hackworth? And my impression is that no, they, he would not have signed. So it's easy to make the joke now. It's easy to make, make fun of, of what looks like a real disastrous mistake by Louisville City, but does the deal get done without it? That's the real question. That's what it comes down to. And you know what? We'll never know because only really Gomez knows the answer to that. And you know what? As far as he's concerned, he's ready to go to Spain. Uh, And again, he's another player, dual national, has been in the Mexican youth national team setups before, has played for the U.S. He's tried both sides. He's another one of these players who's tried the Mexican setup and the U.S. setup. And players like that, some of them will pick, eventually pick Mexico. Just like some of them will eventually pick the United States. And if you get a situation where all these players pick Mexico, that's when at that point you gotta you gotta say, what is going on? There's something going on here. This is this it, you know, it's okay to lose a couple. If you lose them all, you have to start asking questions. And for me, what, what what's I kind of, you know, as it stands right now, I mean, it feels like the US is as if you're keeping score, right? The US is pretty has done pretty well on the dual national front. When you talk about Serginho Dest, when you talk about, well, Eunice Musa is not cap tied yet, but I mean, it all signs point to him being very happy with the U.S. setup. And as far as I can tell, as things stand, there is yet to be a, an American eligible player play a meaningful role with the Mexican setup. And I think that when that actually happens, I think then there can be the serious hand wringing. And I know some people say, well, by then it'll be too late or by then it'll be no, but that's when it's a problem because right now you're still talking about young young players and young prospects and you don't want to lose them. I'm not saying oh it's fine to lose them and if they become stars then you complain, which is kind of, you know, spill, you know, crying about spilled milk. It's already it's already out of the bottle. But it just feels like there's a real panic mode going on right now. That's kind of a little I don't know. It just feels a little premature. It feels like like people want something to to go crazy about or want something to 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 freak out about. Meanwhile, no one's you know, no one's jumping for joy about uh, Daryl DK being kept tied. Daryl DK could could have played for Nigeria. His brother played for Nigeria, and you and I'm pretty sure Nigeria will keep tabs on Daryl DK or would have kept tabs on Daryl DK. But guess what? He's playing for the U.S. now. I'm not saying Gianluca Busio would have played for Italy, but listen, he is now kept tied to the U.S. and that's great. So we'll see. That bears watching, and we'll definitely stay tuned to what's going on with the Mexican-Americans in the U.S. setup. I believe we touched on everything. We've already gone to 50 minutes. So much for this short episode. My apologies for rambling on on a couple of different things. Uh, I do want to try to keep these to, you know, at at most 40 minutes. We've obviously gone long this time around uh, on some of these topics. And hopefully as I edit the episode, it'll trim it down a bit. But uh, I think we've touched everything, touched on everything that I had planned to touch on. Uh, Haji Wright is reportedly uh, closing in on a deal with a Turkish side, Antalya Spor, which would be an interesting move for him, uh, a bit of a step up for him in terms of the Turkish league. Uh, and then Thomas Roberts, the FC Dallas youngster, has been loaned to SK Austria Klagenfurt, another Austrian uh, league team, and another young American going to Austria, and that's really become the wave now. Uh, 
obviously when you have Brendan Aronson at, at, at Salzburg and, and Eric Palmer Brown at Austria Vienna, uh, Uliana is, is there now and Thomas Roberts is heading there now on loan. You had a couple, you had Taylor, Taylor Booth and, and Brendan, Brendan, Brandon Serenia also go on loan there last season. So it's, it's, it's an interesting option. It's an interesting opportunity because it's a, it's a decent league, especially for young, you know, you're talking about teenagers and young Americans who aren't getting the games they need in MLS. That's a, that's a perfect opportunity for them to get games. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to start paying attention more to the Austrian league. That's for sure. But I think that's wrapping it up. I think we've touched on everything that there is to, to, to get into. Uh, we'll, we'll have a, we'll have another episode. I want to say on Friday, that's the plan. So after us, uh, after us Martinique, I'll, uh, I'll get on the, get on the horn. We'll have, We'll have uh, comments from Greg Berhalter and other players after the U.S. Martinique match. So stay tuned. Look out on Friday. Hopefully, I don't want to say Friday morning, but I'll say Friday. Hopefully Friday, definitely Friday, we'll have another episode breaking down what happened between USMNT, the U.S. Men's National Team, and Martinique. Uh, But that's all for now. I'm Ivis Glarset. This is the SBI Show.